whenever you're ready. Hey, everybody. Tommy Wilson on Drinking at Moe's. Make sure you check. Now, let me read that. Cool. Hey, everybody. Tommy Wilson, pro wrestling extraordinaire on Drinking at Moe's. All right, everybody. Welcome to Drinking at Moe's. So it's Big Mo here. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave comments because, man, this YouTube algorithm is a pain in the ass. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor. Leave a review. That also helps. Today, I have with me a guy that I got to see live a bunch of times when I was stationed down in San Diego. Tommy Wilson, how the hell are you doing? I am doing great, man. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, I've been looking forward to having you on. I've been lucky enough to talk to a handful of the people that I actually had to watch live when I was stationed down there in when San were you, Diego. When were you stationed down here? What years were those? Um... When I was actually in San Diego, that was from like 09 through 12. All right. So you saw my early years at SoCal Pro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That and a handful there in the new wave before they, sh they yeah. shut down. New wave shows before it went under. It's like I got there and it just went out of business. It's kind of like it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've been lucky enough to actually get to talk to uh, both the guys that ran that place for the show. Uh, Trevor's, his show is going to be on here in the next week or two, but nice. man, ton, tons of memories from down there. Um, getting to see the likes of, you know, Adam Pierce when he was the NWA champ and lots of good times. You know, when he was down here, uh, I was scheduled to face him at SoCal Pro. I forget what year it was or what the date was, but we were both on AWS the next day. And I sat there in the back and I have never politicked so hard in my life to be like, hey, man, put the belt on me for a night. I'll lose it back to you tomorrow. Like, let's call me Rick. <laughs> and I swear, dude, I could have sworn like in his head, he's like, I should do it. I should do it. And then he ultimately kiboshed it. But I was like, come on, man, just put me over for a night. Let me get my win. I'll put it back over on you the next night. I think he thought I'd run with the belt and not show up the next day. <laughs> at the time, I mean, Marquez was high up at that point, but I don't know who was making the uh, the booking decisions on that. But I think he would have gotten a lot of heat dropping the belt on me because I was I was pretty overweight at the time too. I wasn't in the best in ring shape, so mm. it was what they would have wanted even for a night. And uh, you know, I kind of going back to some of those days. One of the first questions I usually like to start off with everybody with is, you know, what got you started as a fan and then what got you started, you know, jumping into the business? I mean, I was just a fan from the time I was a little kid. I, I, I actually was able to figure it out because of the network. The first match I ever saw was Andre the Giant and Kamala in a cage match. No. And it's from Beef Garden 83. And it was on a steel cage Coliseum video VHS. But my brothers rented it. But, but I remember Andre with a giant black guy in a cage. And I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Like, it had to be Kamala. So that was the first match I ever saw. And I was just in awe of that. And then, obviously, Hulk Hogan comes along. I watched No Holds Barred as a kid. That was rad. And then the mm -hmm. Ultimate War. 
got me hooked. I love the pain and the intensity and all. And, you know, when it came down to it, you know, growing up, that's just what I always wanted to be. Either want to be a baseball player or a pro wrestler. And I, I was afraid of getting hit by pitches because, like, in Little League, you know, nobody knows how to pitch properly. So I got hit all the time. So yeah. I did like, baseball when I got to high school, did football and wrestling instead. And then uh, freshman year of college, I was doing gymnastics and I was talking to this guy and I was like, my plan gymnastics, wrestle a little bit more amateur and then go out to the power plant, WCW, Atlanta. And then this guy's like, well, dude, uh, I'm training with Ken Shamrock down in Chula Vista, which is, you know, about 10 minutes north of Mexico. And he's like, you should come down and train with them. Maybe that'll work out for you. So I went down there and they had a pro wrestling school that had just started like three before. And I was like, screw it, let's do it. And I signed yeah. up there for, you know, nine, 10 months and then went to UPW and the EWF, finished my training there and then got going. But yeah, I always wanted to be a wrestler. That was just, I mean, I'm just a weirdo like that. I always liked having a long hair. I always like painting my face when I was a kid. I'd paint my chest like watercolors and run around, you know, going, oh, I'm ultimate warrior. Like, so it's just all <laughs> to do it. Um, and I've just loved it since I was a kid. Oh man. Some you you brought up some memories for me, like you like Ultimate Warrior and the paint. I also remember like the Road Warriors and the the yep. spike shoulder pads, and I gotta see them at a Monday night raw taping here. I now live in Omaha, Nebraska, and they oh man, I swear I have never seen anybody get me to where I was literally on my feet from the moment the music hit to the moment they went to the back. I was on my feet, like, oh my god, I bet. I never got to go to any show. My brothers, they liked wrestling, but not the way I did, where they would want to go see live shows. And me and my dad, I mean, didn't make a lot of money. He couldn't afford to just, you know, take us all and just make them go. So we didn't go to Padre Games instead. Mm. So I didn't see a live pro wrestling event until Bash at the Beach 98. And I was mowing lawns all summer. I saw Mercy in the paper in like May, like WCW coming to, I think it was Cox Arena at the time. And I was like, oh, dude, I got to get tickets. And it was like 65 bucks. So I told my mom, I was like, I need money. She's like, well, you better find somebody to work for. So she called all her friends, lawns and stuff, and was able to save up my money and went to that. So, I mean, and I was already 16 at that point. So I didn't get that childhood sort of rush of like, which used to drive me nuts because they, I didn't, you know, as a kid, you don't understand the way things work. So I remember yeah. they would Ultimate Warrior versus The Undertaker in a body bag match, or Ultimate Warrior versus Papa Shango mm. in a whatever match. And I thought it was like the pay-per-views. We're like, okay, they're building yeah. up all and they're giving us the card, and they're going to give us the results. So I remember when the show happened, the next week on Superstars, I was waiting for the results, and they never came. I'm like, what happened? Are they going to tell me what happened? I had no clue that they're not going to be like, hey, at the sports arena in San Diego, like, they're not putting that much yeah. effort in. Um, they don't care about giving you the results when it's over. Yeah. But it's like, I've been mad because I'm like, I just want to know who won. That's all I care about. I just want to know who God damn, they, man, not giving me my results. Yeah. Oh, man. I but remember. I, like, oh. I really, I've always loved the WWF presentation, the way it's bigger. Mm. I, that, I think if I'd gone to a house show, see some of these things talk now, I might have hated it as a kid. You know, if it's, you know, if one of the matches is Iron Mike Sharp versus Barry Horowitz, I don't think eight-year-old me is okay with that. Now, you know, 40-year-old me is like, all right, these guys are good workers. But eight-year-old yeah. me was more ultimate warrior, more recruit, more mock 
And, you know, and you look at some of these cards that I would have probably been miserable, you know, without the big entrance ways and all that. So it's probably better. I didn't see it as a kid anyway. <laughs> oh man. I, my actual first one that I ever got to go to, you brought up Kamala. He was there, but the match that I remember the most was actually, I got to get that dog of mine to settle down, but uh, it was, my dad got, it was like, I was in third grade. He got us on the floor. We were like maybe a few a few rows away from the entrance and the match was uh big boss man versus yokozuna and i'm like this little third grade kid big boss man was my favorite so i was freaking out when i saw him come through and then i'm standing there at the entrance and here walks by yokozuna and i'm like uh, like jaw on the floor Oh, yeah, I imagine. Like, that dude was big. Like, I still guys. I wrestled this guy. I forget exactly what his name was. It was something like King Daba Daba something. This was at UPW in, like, 04. And he was 500-something pounds. And he, he gives me a leg drop. And I didn't feel a thing. I just couldn't breathe. So he lands on, and he's, his leg is just covering my It doesn't hurt at all because all the fats just wrap around me. But I took my own. And I hope he gets off of me soon because I think I was like a buck seventy at the time, so I wasn't gonna lift him off. I was just gonna lay there and die, you know, in front of you know a thousand people. And <laughs> oh man, I can only imagine me as like, good lord. There's been some big guys in the business. I remember, like I said, Yokozuna for that one, but uh, another guy. But he's still going, and I've actually interviewed him for the show that I actually got to see at New Wave down there when I was still in San Diego. Uh, T-Rex. And I remember this was the one where he, I think it was he had, uh, I forget what the storyline was, but it was him and... Uh, Ryan Kidd, and he proceeds to do multiple standing moonsaults on a Ryan Kidd, just flattening him. I'm like, oh, damn. I was a recipient of one of those moonsaults about three, four weeks ago. <laughs> no, still yeah, no, he got me right on the nose with it. It's actually kind of funny. He kind of like damaged something like right here, but I've actually been breathing better ever since. Hey. <laughs> don't, don't know what it is, but my cardio took like... <laughs> I started smoking weed a little bit more around the time too. So it's either smoking more weed is helping my cardio or Tarek's like smashing my nose. Don't know what smoke doesn't seem to be the most logical hey. idea. <laughs> something hey. to smoke, like, you know, lodge something out of there, but yeah, <laughs> dude, he still goes to bring, uh, he, dude, um, about a month, month and a half ago, he got thrown off a pier down here in OB. I he heard was, about that. It was a wild video. He just gets thrown off, and then the other dude comes out with a flying, flaming elbow. Misses him by, like, a mile, but he still went for it, and, you know, they both got busted by the police. And But I imagine being a surfer, just out in the ocean, just, you know, enjoying your afternoon, and then all of a sudden this big, giant dude covered in tattoos with the septum piercing falls off, off the damn pier. And then this crazy 
all comes jumping on fire immediately afterwards. Like, yeah, yeah that, that would be insane. I mean, you're usually surfing, uh, worrying about sharks underneath you, and all of a sudden, yeah, over like, oh my god. <laughs> Oh man, that's crazy. And uh, one thing I was wanting to talk to you about because I know when I was down there, you were more on the heel side of things, but now you tend to be more. Well, I mean, depending on where you're at, on the the good guy side of things, which one of those do you prefer doing? And you know. Uh, I guess, what are some of the differences with how you got to, uh, you know, interacting with a crowd for those? Well, I mean, I prefer being a heel. That's just, I mean, it's as easy as that is. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot easier for me. I'd have always been an asshole anyway, so it's just more naturally my personality. Um, but three years ago, I had a pretty nasty medical scare, got hospitalized for a few months, was in a coma, lost a ton of weight. So, hold on. Jeff Dino just walked in. He's making sure he's not being too loud for me. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're cool, Jeff. Sorry, we, the promoters interrupted him. I'm at the SoCal Pro Tramp facility because we've got a show here tonight afterwards. But so, oh, yeah. Uh, I had the health scare. I lost a lot of weight. I came out of it. And, you know, it really re- it changed your priorities. I didn't see my son for almost two months. So, it changes everything. I come out of that. Then the pandemic hits. I've got to start over from scratch. So it's just more of a natural fit being more of a, a baby face right now, just because, I mean, there's so many people that have been supportive of what I went through and, and have just been so encouraging since I've come back. Cause you know, the first match I had back was in May and I did a, a battle Royal and yeah. no guarantee that I was going to wrestle another match after that when that happened, it was like, all right, let's do one. Wanted my son to be there to watch me because he hadn't seen me wrestle since he was like four months old. So he'd really seen me. And I just wanted him to get that. Yeah. Situation where a battle royal gives me an out at any point because if I get thrown over the top, I'm out of the match. It's not a singles or if my cardio gives out or if my knees give out or something goes wrong or if my body's just not there. You know, I, I had an out to get out of the match. So yeah. um, I kind of just got to run with that for now because everybody just seems to like me a lot more than they used to. So <laughs> I'm just. In my natural role, I, I'm very much a bad guy. You know, I, I watched that A&E documentary that we did on Edge over the summer, and I've never related to something so much, you know, going through the injuries, the depression from the injuries, um, you know, and then Edge's whole standpoint is like, you know, we got John Cena, we got Batista, we got this guy, that guy, that guy. It's like, they all need somebody to wrestle. I might as well be that guy. And that always kind of was my thing of, I don't want to be the Hulk Hogan, the John Cena, that guy. I wanted to be the guy that was going to guess. I like Piper. I like Savage, you know? I mean, I love the ultimate warrior, but I, I also know he's not a great worker from the sense mm-hmm. of, you know, have great five-star matches, yeah. you know, I just character. But so I always gravitate towards those heel guys, even Flair to a degree. I mean, Flair's wow. not the ring guy in my opinion. He's kind of repetitive, but the dude could get heat on himself and carry baby faces through matches you know, it's one legend. So, yeah, no that that that's pretty cool because I I still I remember some of the matches. Uh, I want to say the what was it the Mirror Image Mega Stars? Yeah, me and Ricky Mandel. Yeah, man, I remember some of those and being there and the U two just the crowds just loving the 
boo the shit out of you guys. Well, I had even more fun with it when we brought in Peter Avalon and Nick Lovett. Because, oh. I mean, Nick Lovin by himself, you know, not going to not gonna have a whole lot going for him as a pro wrestler. I mean, he's like buck 50, you know, obviously skinny, which is why we called him and Peter two skinny white dudes. But you <laughs> Lovin was such a great character, just fit with us so perfectly. And one of my favorite memories, I'll send you the photo after this is over, is we found this pink tricycle in the back of a building and it had a pink helmet on it. And he went to the ring on the tricycle with the pink helmet on and went out there, you know, holding his fist up like he was Undertaker in 2002. (laughs) It was amazing. And the best part is he he was coming out to Miley Cyrus rock in the USA or party in the USA. So you got with him coming down, pretending to be the Undertaker, but on a pink tricycle with a pink helmet. And I mean, dude, to me, that's pro wrestling. Like, I don't even care what the match was. I don't know who he wrestled that night. Don't know if he won or lost. No idea. But I have a photo of him on that damn tricycle, and it's hilarious. Oh, my God. I have to see that. Because, like, I don't remember being there for that particular one. We get, you know, military stuff. Yeah. But, oh, man. I do remember those guys coming out to that, and I'm just like, what the hell? But it fits, <laughs> it fits them perfectly. Like, what better song for those two than that? Oh, yeah. No, looking back on it, I'm like, you know what? Those two had something cool there. Yeah, and they were. it was perfect because, you know, I was usually the heavyweight champ. Ricky had the Golden State title. They had the tag belts. You know, and it would rotate a little bit because I held the tag belts with Ricky at one point, too. Ricky was the heavyweight champ. Peter left and went and became a big star, you know, going off to TNA and Impact and all that. Uh, <laughs> and I replaced him with Joey the Bone Barone, which he always took as a massive insult. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole reason was Bone was just standing right there. And I go, Bone, you're in my group. And Peter's like, why are you replacing me with Bone? I was like, because I wanted you to know you could be replaced by the Bone. Peter <laughs> never got <laughs> Oh, man. That's funny. But that, you kind of brought up one thing with SoCal Pro that I was going to talk about. You've held the heavyweight. You've held the tag title. It's like the only title that they have that you haven't had is the Golden State title. I know, but Hulk Hogan was never in a continental champ, so. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Wait, you know, there, there was a part of me when I first came back that was like, man, I should go for the Golden State title. And then I had a couple of matches and realized, no, I'm, I'm going for the heavyweight title eventually. Don't know when, don't know where. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like it would be a step down. And I don't want to diminish that title, obviously, because it's not that the title, mm-hmm. I'm too sorry back. It's just I want to set my goals for my sixth heavyweight championships. You know, I've held it five oh, times. No. You know, besides Judas, who's held the belt for like 7,000 days now, I have the second longest front, you know, at just under here. But, you know, if I had the opportunity, I would take it. But I really think my focus is more on the heavyweight title than anything. You know, when I wrestled Mr. Well, I didn't wrestle, but I wrestled Eric's, who was representing Mr. Impressive last month, his stipulation on the match was that if, if Tarek's beat me, I would have to team with Mr. Impressive so we could go after the tag titles together. Now, obviously, I beat Tarek, so I don't have to deal with that nonsense. But <laughs> that's one of those ways where I found home for the tag titles and have to carry Mr. Impressive to some victories, you know, by myself while he uh, cries out in the corner. But instead, he got dressed up in a chicken suit and we paraded him around, which was a lot <laughs> of fun. Kids, you know, the kids had a blast. You know, going on. That is but, so fun. 
not really on my radar right now. Not really something that I even really care about. It'd be cool to be a triple crown champion, but it is what it is. I'd rather be the top guy. Oh, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, in the end, you, you'd think if your eyes aren't at least somewhere on the, you know, the big title, then it's like, what are you doing? Well, and that's what we tell guys when they break in anyway at the training school. Like, you should want a main event of WrestleMania or whatever. You want to be the top guy. Now, to be the top guy, you got to put some years in for you. You know, so the guys coming up, it's like, hey, go after the Golden State Falcons. You know, if you, you find somebody you click with as the tag team, go after those tag titles, you know. But if you get lucky, too, try to win a Royal Rumble, you know, get a title match for the heavyweight. You never know. I mean, you know, just because a guy's been around nine months doesn't mean he can't be champion. Look at Goldberg. You know, people forget what happened with Jinder Mahal a couple of years ago where, like, dude oh, gets, yeah. he's in three-man band, gets fired, comes back two years later, jacked out of his mind. You think that he's just going to get thrown in this role where he's going to be losing to everybody. He wins a battle royal, and then he beats Randy Orton for the title. And I think now Jinder Mahal is one of the most underutilized talents on their roster. And I don't know if it's because of injury or whatnot. I don't like to judge, you know, situations when I don't really know what's going on. But Jinder Mahal is one of my favorite guys to watch. You know, he's a big guy that can move. He's believable. A dude looks like a world champion, in my opinion. You know, there were a lot of people that really got behind him in that, uh, that title run that he had. And I mean, hey. A guy as jacked as he is, as tall as he is, you know, the guy can move. Oh, he's he works really well. Like I, people don't, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves because he doesn't do everything that he can do. But I mean, I've seen him wrestle on like smaller shows and not in front of like the WWE audiences. The guy knows how to work and he knows how to wrestle. It's just you don't have to. It's like if you go back and watch Hogan in Japan. You'll see him doing all kinds of chain wrestling. But in America, he never did have to. Because in America, this is what got him over. Whereas in Japan, he knew the chain wrestling got him over. So he did what he had to do where he was. And I think it's the same thing with, you know, if he's in WWE, there's no reason for him to do a moonsault when he's the world champion. Back to the gills the way he is. So he's doing his job perfectly. But I don't think people realize how good that guy really is. You know that you make a good point. Um, One thing here recently that you know i wanted to talk about that you kind of made the jump into commentary for at least tonight with uh socal crazy's hermanos contra cancer show i was watching on my uh roku tv on that uh socal wrestling roku channel yeah that, uh that was that was a pretty awesome show, and you and uh, what was it, Ronnie Thrash? Ronnie, you Ron, guys, Ronnie. man, you guys on commentary were hilarious. I was loving it. You know, it's it's funny because like you know you get there, you know when your matches. So I knew we were. I was on after intermission. I knew I had plenty of time. And um, SoCal Crazy is you know walking through the back, and he's like, "Hey guys, the announcers, the dynamics, they're not here. So we need people to go help on commentary because we're because they were live streaming it." And so Thrash and I were like, all right, well, we'll go up first and we'll go do the first match. And then after the first match, nobody came to relieve us. So I was like, hey, we'll just keep going until somebody comes out to take us out. And I'm like, <laughs> when our match comes up, we'll just walk away. We'll have no commentary in our match, I guess. But no one else took advantage of it, which, you know, is weird to me because it's an opportunity to be on the streaming. Even though I'm not in the ring, you know, the whole time, I got to talk. 
you know, and got to have discussions and got to entertain people in a different way. And I don't think people realize, you know, any exposure is good exposure. So I was kind of surprised nobody else came to the back or came from the back to help out when, um, uh, I had my match. I think it was Pinky Santino and Ben Thomas just talked on. Ben Thomas was just there in the crowd. It was like, I'll do commentary for this match. So he got on there, you know, and did it. And then at one point, Hector and Ricky came out and hopped on too during their match. That was fun. But yeah. I mean, he had a great time. And I had no idea we'd have the chemistry we did because I've done commentary before. And I have stunk the joint up doing commentary before. <laughs> and part of the problem with that is going in, it was usually when I was champion or whatever, and I was going to do commentary over a contender match, you know, just to give, give a little feedback. It's a little bit more difficult because, you know, I'm talking as a wrestler. When I put the headset on there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pretend I'm Michael Cole tonight and just have fun and talk. And I wanted to make sure all the wrestlers got the respect they deserved. Cause I can't stand when I watch an indie show online and you just hear the commentators, you know, screwing around. Yeah. And like, Ash and I were obviously having our moments where we were messing with each other, but we tried to still make it about the matches and put over the guys. And, you know, truthfully, I didn't even know talent on the show and they didn't give us a lineup sheet. So I didn't know who guys were sometimes. So I was sitting there waiting for the announcer to say who it was, especially in the, uh, the Royal rumble match. No, but to me, it's, it's disrespectful to the wrestlers to not at least give them what they deserve as performers and talk about the match, talk about what they're doing out there. So I just tried to make sure that we were staying on track with that. And I'm glad it was entertaining for everybody because it seems everybody enjoyed it, which makes oh. me happy. Oh, man, I was I was enjoying it, man. It was it was because, good stuff. Because to be perfectly honest with you, man, I mean, I've only got so many bumps left in this body. So I don't know. I mean, I know I got a couple years left in me at least. I joke around with Jeff, you know, that I'm going to wrestle till I'm like 80 at SoCal Pro. Just because <laughs> I've worked matches with the honky tonk man that I know how to have a match as a 70 year old. Like that yeah. guy worked a match without working a match. And one of the funniest things that ever happened and, and resulted in one of the coolest collectibles that I have was uh, one year at the San Diego County Fair. I forget who I was teaming with, but it was me and somebody versus Honky Tonk Man and somebody. And Honky had had a, a beer or two at the fair, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, who knows? All I know is the following year, he was no longer drinking at all. But <laughs> halfway through the match, and this is the third show of the day, so he's already had two other matches. Halfway through, he goes, hey, kid, body slam me. And I went, um, excuse me, sir, can you repeat that? I'm going to need you to call that one more time for me because I don't think I'm going to body slam you. He goes, fucking body slam me. So I pick him up and I body slam him. And the promoter, Jerry Gray, is out on the floor going, oh, my God, he's body slamming the honky tonk, man. Because it was, doggy was very clear with us. I'm like, hey, man, I'm old. Don't do this. And two or three years before that, I was a good guy and I teamed with him. And I tagged out. And I literally went up to him and I did, I did that. They go, damn, kid, you're going to break my fingers, you know, tagging out like that. I was like, sorry, man. I didn't know we had like that. I didn't know we were in 1988 still, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's why he's still going at this age. So I learned a lot of tricks from the Honky Tonk Man as I get older that I can, you know, reduce the things I do in the ring. But having commentary with Thrash, you know, on the back quarter, too, you know, him and I already discussed it afterwards. We're like, this it's not me and it's not just him it's us as a team just seem to work and we're good friends we get along we know each other well so we were able to play off of each other pretty well but having that is something to potentially do after my entering days are over could be a lot of fun though that that would be i know well speaking of thrash he real quick he was actually in my only my second ever indie show that i ever went to new wave uh tidal wave and okay. When it comes to commentary, I mean, I've always 
you know, I mean, even before I started this uh, podcast, I'm like, man, it would be cool to someday get to do commentary on a show. I one time got to do a special guest ring announcer for a friend's match. And I'm like, man, they talk about getting that itch when you get that, that little taste of it. And I, oh my God, I, yeah, I, I got it from that damn moment because ever since I'm like, man, I'd love one more time. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, Troy Stone, who was the announcer for SoCal Pro for like a decade, he oh, just yeah. retired uh, a few months ago and he called it a career, but him and I worked at a pizza joint together in like 2002. And I, I actually got hired because he was the manager and I just applied to be a delivery driver and I go in there and I'm like filling out. I was like, what's your hobbies? And I wrote pro wrestling. And he goes, what's this? Like, you like watching? I was like, no, I do it. And he's like, wait, what? So we started talking. I, we had a WCWA show that was ran by the Dynamics and uh, DJ Medina in like Lemon Grove. And he came out and he watched. He's like, I got to get involved somehow. He's, and he told me that he used to do announcing for his high school team. Or maybe it was his college team. whatever. But he'd do the play-by-play for the football game. So he's like, man, I'd love to do commentary. So introduced him to a few people. He worked his way up and then eventually he took over as the head guy at SoCal Pro. But it all started with just, you know, us meeting randomly at a pizza joint, him coming to a show going, man, I got to get involved somehow. And he was like, I think 40, 41 at the time. So he had no desire of being a wrestler. He just, he just loved wrestling. He just wanted to be involved with it. So that's usually the way it goes for a lot of people is you just show up and work your way in. Oh yeah. No, I've, I've been lucky enough to, you know, meet some, you know, just randomly meeting uh, different promoters or people in the business through some of my friends that are wrestlers here in the area. And heck, that's how I got to do the special guest ring announcing spot. Um, I recently interviewed for the show a guy that does ring announcing for Sammy Callahan's promotion, Wrestling Revolver. And I don't know if anything, like if I'll get to do anything in the show, but he said that next time they come out my way, that uh, he's got my ticket. So, I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe that'll open a door sometime. But man, I'm telling you, if I ever got the opportunity... I don't, I would not be able to pass it up. I know, uh, SoCal crazy is we've, we talked a couple times a week and he's mentioned about wanting me to come out there, especially for when he makes his return, which I, it's gonna, I, it's gonna be hard to pass that one up because man, I remember so many matches of his. Uh, I remember a lot of his matches too because I was in a lot of them. <laughs> I know. I mean, he's one of those. I, I mean, I've wrestled him at least fifty times. You know, we've done ladder matches, TLC matches. We were tag champs together at one point. Like, I've spent a lot of my life with that guy. He's a good dude. It was good seeing him a couple of weeks ago in way better health. I mean, he's still got a lot of way to go, but him and I are always going to have that in common because I mean, you know, I saw photos of him when the cancer was at the worst. And, you know, he looked just like me. I mean, I looked like an AIDS patient when I was at my lowest because I weighed 182 at my absolute lowest. I'm 220 right now. But I was just skin and bone. And I'd buzzed my head because when I was in the coma, my, my hair had dreaded up. So my wife chopped it all off. 
And I, you know, so when I buzzed it all, I just looked like cancer, AIDS, everything was just all flaring up at once. But to see him, to hug him, to feel like how strong his core feels, just like giving him a hug. Like, it's good that he's doing well and that, you know, he's going to be back eventually. I don't know when, because, you know, he's going to have to do the same thing I did. He's going to have to take his time and he's going to have to make sure that he's ready to go when he gets back and doesn't get back in too soon. Because, you know, I mean, I, I had a two-year recovery before I actually got back in the ring. And I, yeah, I was going to say when I was doing my homework for the episode, I was looking on a cage match and it would show, you know, all the years and then there's that that gap and i'm like oh yeah that's about that time that that happened yeah and that's all it was is i mean i had i had um started winding down a little bit when i think i think a week before my 29th birthday i had a tryout with WWE in los angeles and the tryout went as well as it could have been and at the end i just flat out asked him was like hey you know what do you guys think of me and Bill DeMott, who I'd actually known for a while, was look, man, like, you're good. You're not what we're looking for. And right now, we're not looking for anybody over 30, so we're probably never going to pick you up. And at the time, it was demoralizing. And, there, were, I mean, it's funny because a lot of guys went through the same thing. There was, I think Scorpio and I had done, like, one segment with TNA at the time. And there was a lawsuit over something between the two companies. So Scorpio Sky was scheduled to be at that tryout, and they wouldn't let him come in because he had worked for TNA once not even under contract. So there was all kinds of weird rules going on back then. And that was when Canyon Seaman had been brought in. So mm. I got pretty discouraged at the time and slowly started winding it down. Cause I'm like, that was my goal. I never wanted to just be an indie wrestler. I wanted to wrestle in WWE. And I was like, I'm six foot five, you know, running around 240, 250 most of my career. I'm like, I never had the freakish Chris Masters physique, but I mean, I look better than Kevin Owens, you know? So I figured, you know, but they always told me, you know, you're not what we're looking for. It's not the right body type. And I'm one of those guys where I think because of how tall I was, I needed to look more like a Chris Masters or a Randy Orton, have that chiseled physique in order to get there at the time. Or Kevin Owens is a little bit shorter. You know, it's just a different style. And obviously the time is are different too, because he didn't get hired for another three or four years after that happened. But I mean, I'd started drinking after that and, you know, got off my diet and then I had my first child you know I was eating donuts and drinking even more you know dealing with a crying baby every night and then my knees out on me and all that so I began winding down about 2017 anyway it was just doing a few shots for a little while after that and then you know late 2019 is when my liver pancreas and kidney all gave out simultaneously and woke up a month later (laughs) yeah like I remember when I first heard about that I'm like oh shit <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad everything seems to be going going well um getting back in the swing of things there was you know kind of taking a step back i remember we had talked a little bit about uh aws and yeah a lot of people out here omaha might not know a whole lot about them i would hear a lot about them when I come up for like SoCal Pro shows and I remember one time in particular I was hearing a lot about this big battle royal like it was going to be like a world record breaker 150 some freaking it was I, I believe 150 yeah 159 yeah okay 
I knew it was some odd number. It was just, it was a nine number. I knew that. That was a very interesting match. Uh, we had three rings, all three different sizes. One of them collapsed at one point. You know um, what? I, I forget who it was I talked to about this, but I vaguely remember them mentioning that. Yeah, it was the far ring. So, like, from the entrance way, it was the furthest from the entrance. That's all I remember. But, I mean, I get out there, and I mean, it was just cramped. So, uh, myself and a guy named Andrew Hellman, who's one of my best friends, we just got in a corner, and we were fending off luchadors for the first, like, 20 minutes of the match. Like, we were just punching and kicking, like, get away from us. They'd come over, try to lift my leg. I'm like, yeah, get off me, you know, smash him in the head. And we'd fend them off because there was nowhere to move. So we just kind of stayed where nobody could get us out until it kind of, you know, diminished down because there's nothing you can do in there because it's literally just crammed. Yeah, it's, it's like being at a club on a Saturday yeah. night. You know, just everybody's in there. And they said the one ring broke, and then that was fun to roll around on, you know. <laughs> not as not as dramatic as Roman Reigns falling down that ring at SummerSlam this year when Lesnar lifted it, but still, you know, you get to take a bump and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm rolling. <laughs> it was a cool experience. It's cool to be part of a, of a world record. Uh, I don't even remember who won that thing, but it was a lot of fun for what it was. You, you know, I can't say that I even remember myself. Like, I know I. I'd have to go back and probably pull up cage match again because I know it listed it on there. Yeah. But man, I, I just remember thinking, man, I got hopefully they got footage of that somewhere because I want to see that. I I don't know if there's footage. I have a couple photos of it. I don't know. I don't remember how well you can see the ring, but there is a photo of me and Hellman kind of just hiding. And what's you know, for me, one of the most memorable things is the first time I ever wore actual trunks. Like, I used to wear the long Billy Gunn short tights because I was at uh, really tiny legs because I was always skinny. And I don't know who dared me, but somebody's like, hey, just wear trunks tonight. I was like, yeah, whatever. And I wore them, and I was like, oh, these are actually kind of comfy. And then I started wearing trunks for the next, you know, 10 years after that. And the only reason, you know, I've switched out my gear since I've come back because now I have to be a little more practical. So I wear the long tights now because, like, today it's cold. And it's a lot nicer to have tights on than trunks. And I'm able to pad myself, you know, pad up my knees a little bit better, you know, put some cream on, don't have to worry about shaving my legs every week anymore. So that's kind of nice. So there, there's practical benefits to changing the gear on that. I mean, hell, at a certain point, I might want to get like the Bam Bam Bigelow, like top too. You know, once, once I'm like chiseled and where I want to look physically and just wear a shirt and people won't be like, oh, he's just fat. So that's why he's wearing a shirt. He's like, he's just wearing a shirt to wear a shirt, but get it custom made. So it matches my gear. Um, <laughs> put some padding back so the bumps hurt a little less, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, like seeing pentagon up close was one of the coolest things because i'm like touching his gear and going man you're heavily padded on this that's smart interesting yeah I've, for- I've always i've always wanted to meet him nice guy met him at lucha underground six seven years doing extra work for them just being security we were um um probably the most heat i've ever experienced in my life was myself like andy brown che cabrera eric watts we were right for patrol cops for a match between joey ryan and um fuck i forget who he's wrestling but we were coming down to right gear the place was chanting fuck the police the whole time oh. and i wasn't entirely sure people knew that we weren't actual police and they wanted to kill us so i was fast because they, they gave us nightsticks. We had the full gear us. So we were going to be able to protect ourselves, too. But we were basically like, match, but his riot guards. So that was oh. a lot. That's you the know, company that 
love somebody to resurrect and bring back and do something with because those were some of the most fun shows I've ever witnessed live. You know, with you know, when um, we do extra work, you know, we'd be security sometimes. There was times like, hey, we sit in the crowd, I'm like, okay, I'll go watch, I'll go cheer. You know, I watched Johnny Mundo versus Willie Mack, the, the Iron Man, live. Ooh. You know, that was so amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to have to actually go back and watch some of those. I know that I actually have, I actually have all the seasons of Lucha Underground. Nice. So I, I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch some of that because I do remember that match. I, I can't hear you. Um. Is it streaming anywhere, or do you have the DVDs? I remember buying the season pass on, like, iTunes oh. or something. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, so they are out there to buy still. Oh, yeah. No, I, I imagine they're out there, like, probably Prime Video probably has it, or... It, it's out there. Yeah. I'm going to shut the door with the office, because I think fans are starting to show up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I actually, I have two categories that I like to kind of round off the show. I I call one, one's a bit of a name game. I name off some people that, you know, you've either shared the ring with or one way or another, or at the very least been like shared a locker room with them. And you give me your thoughts. Got it. First one. I always try to throw in a one that I'm wondering if they, the guests even really are like, holy crap, I almost forgot about that one. All right, let's see. It, Raw 2006, it showed Umaga. Yeah. Teddy Bear. I've, I've actually heard that about him. Very, very nice guy. Um, very light in the ring. He did break Johnny Goodtime's nose that night. Um, that was because he was chopping him in the corner, and Goodtime put his head down a little bit, completely accidental. But he backhanded the hell out of me, threw me around. I was stoked because he grabs my tights and like pulls him up while I'm prone away from him. So you get to see my bare ass on you know live TV, and that's immortalized on the network now too. Which is <laughs> funny because how many times, especially at EWF, Jesse Hernandez is screamed at me for showing my ass to the crowd usually on like a sunset flip spot i won't go down i have the baby face pull my trunks uh so i was stoked to have my ass on on wwe raw so whenever my kid goes back and watches he'll see that and then you know when he gets guardrail and smashes me it's funny because i felt absolutely nothing because i've got the padding on one side and just like the guy at upw that gave me the leg drop umaga's got a big fat ass so that fat ass hits me and it's just cushion on both sides it was just like I'm just like, I didn't feel anything. The hardest part was lying there while fans were like, good job, man, good job, and try not to laugh. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. But yeah. That's- Next one, we actually mentioned his name a little bit ago, Scorpio Sky. Incredible talent. I, you know, there's guys that, I mean, you can't understand – it's hard to explain what I'm going to say until you've actually been in a ring and actually somebody moved around with somebody, but Scorpio sky is one of the easiest guys to be in the ring with because he is such a phenomenal athlete. It's like he floats. So you pick him up for something and it's nothing. And like at my weight, you know, over the years, like I said, about 240, 250, you know, I would come up with ways to minimize what I'm doing in the ring. So like 
I don't want to go down and get back up because I'm going to get blown up later on in a match. You know, you pick a guy up and you body slam him. It's a little bit, it's your meter comes down a little bit. And throughout the match, you're doing all this stuff. When I pick up Scorpio Sky, it's like picking up a pillow. It's like, oh crap. Now, you know, he's almost going to fly in the air. But he's just so skilled athletically that, you know, he can do anything in the ring. It's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. He, I got to watch him handful of times down during my time there my personal favorite match of his that i ever saw at least during my time down in southern california was a triple threat him versus b-boy versus tjp i saw that oh hands down one of my not just my favorite matches of his but probably one of my favorite matches i've ever seen Damn. It, it was something. Next one, another guy that we also mentioned his name not not too long ago, but Willie Mack. Willie Mack, I have never actually shared a ring with, but another guy, just a great guy. Uh, phenomenal talent, can do anything. I don't think that dude's ever been inside of a gym. I don't think he's ever been on a treadmill. I don't think he's ever exercised outside of a wrestling ring in his life. And yet I've never seen him blow up. I've heard, you know, from firsthand from plenty of people that he will muscle you and make you get up if you don't want to get up for him. So it's like, if you're the opposite of Scorpio Sky, Willie Mack will lift you. So freak <laughs> insane card. Cause like, I mean, I watched him do 60 minutes with Johnny Mundo and they didn't stop. I mean, on TV, I know they edited out some of the matches for TV time, <laughs> but they didn't have to cut anything or redo anything. I mean, it went straight through. And the guy never looked blown up. It was doing crazy moves at the end that you wouldn't expect a guy his size and, you know, build to be able to do. But, I mean, he floats around, too. It's just so good yeah. on the ring. Yeah, he, you know, people don't expect for guys Willie Mack size to be able to move around like Willie Mack does. Like, yeah. oh, another, another guy that I like to, uh, you know, Samoa Joe, he like a, a bit bigger, but goddamn the, the way that guy can move, you know. Yeah, I, you, wish, you, I wish wrestling had more Samoa Joe, Willie Mack types too. Guys that aren't bodybuilders, guys that are just big dudes who can go that shit people, and just are good, believable big man wrestlers. Like I miss the days of Bam Bam and Vader and those kind of guys and Scott Norton, you know, just whatever. Like so, I love seeing guys like. Willie Max, Samoa Joe. We got a guy at our, our school named um, Bagu, who's very green right now, but he's a big guy. He knows how to throw punches, knows how to throw kicks, and he's going to be real solid when he gets fully trained. You know, and guys like Mikey O'Shea, just big dudes that just <laughs> around and beat people up. It's just, it's fun to watch that kind of wrestling. It's just different than, you know, it's like I could watch the Young Bucks all day, but yeah. I love watching Joe to change it up. It's like I could watch Ultimate Warrior matches all day. It's just, I love the different styles that everybody presents oh, with yeah. themselves. That's what's great about pro wrestling is you got death matches, you got lucha, you got <laughs> high fine technical, you got these hard hitting matches. You know, it's all over the place. And it's great. Oh yeah, I was actually when you were talking about uh, Samojo Willie Mac type matches, I've actually got to witness one live at Warrior Wrestling in St. Louis. And I actually got to talk with one of the participants for the show, Jonah. Um, him versus Jeff Cobb. Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I'm 
sitting relatively close and like holy shit like i have never at least before that seen guys when they're getting chopped and you can literally see individual beads of sweat just flying off of them yes i saw that during that match and i will never forget it just the wham it was i can tell you cobb is one of the strongest guys out there i mean the things he can do are just insane uh, and I mean, it's just pure strength. It's just like Willie. I mean, there's it's called man muscles. You know, when you can just pick up other men and throw them around, like there's nothing <laughs> in the make you into a Jeff Cobb. You either have that or don't. Similar to like Lesnar. I mean, no matter no matter how hard I train, I will never be Brock Lesnar. I will never be Jeff Cobb. But man, I love because <laughs> it's just I miss power wrestling. Like I love that style of just big dudes beating up big dudes. I've seen big dudes beat up little dudes too in all fairness and i i only got to talk with uh, jonah for the show for a little bit but i i gotta actually have some conversations with both of those guys off camera and i gotta say two of the nicest dudes i've ever met yeah. but uh last but not least on the name game category a mutual friend of ours a guy i know we both love and respect professionally and personally so cow crazy madman that guy <laughs> should have that guy should have been dead 20 years ago there was there was a where anchors away ran him over with a car just that was just, i wanted to say right before i got to san diego <laughs> and then and then he goes out and wrestles the next day because that was on like a Saturday. He had a show. I think he had AWS on Sunday. But I remember going, yeah, man, I gotta go to another show. I'm like, dude, you just gotta hit by a car. Stay home, watch some football or something. Like you gotta have something better to do. <laughs> but yeah, dude, between that, we have a photo in the training school of him jumping off of a 12-foot ladder from the ring onto me onto the floor through a couple of tables in our first ladder match. And he was still kind of heavy. He was probably pushing like 220, 225-ish, which is pretty heavy for him. And man, the speed of which I went from on a table to the floor was like, it's, it's like it teleported. Because it's really connected. <laughs> I, oh, I didn't know that happened. But luckily, <laughs> much on my end, the tables broke to fall. I think it hurt him more because his ass, you know, went over. And my knee was shot that night anyway. So I was having knee surgery two days later. So I was like, yeah, screw it. If you kill me, you kill me. They'll, they'll repair me on Monday. Because whatever oh. I go in. <laughs> yeah, he's done some of the craziest stuff. And honestly, you know, similar to me, like there was no reason for me to come back to wrestling. This is completely an egotistical thing for me to do just to challenge myself. And I think it's the same for him of, you know, it'd be really easy to say, Hey man, I got really sick. My body fell apart. I'll retire. I'll move on with my life. And for me, it just wasn't an option. It's something I just always wanted to do. And I couldn't imagine not wrestling. So the very first thing I did was pick up a two and a half pound weight. and was like, I'm going to get back in the ring. Eventually it's not going to be mm -hmm. soon. But eventually, it took two years, and he's the same way. He should never wrestle again, but he's going to. He's <laughs> like he should sit at home, you know, enjoy his life, enjoy the fact that he's getting healthy again, you know. But he's not going back in the ring sooner than later. And I have a feeling he's going to probably get back a little bit sooner than he should have, and have to work his way through it. But it's just the way we are. He, he, yeah, no, he he is definitely earned. To, to be able to just call it a 
a career as far as in-ring stuff. I know him and I talking that I don't think he will ever like completely step away from the business altogether. But as far as in-ring stuff, yeah, he's definitely earned being able to just call it a career. But yeah, no, I, he is itching too bad to get back. I he he's wanting to get in there. Well, and the thing with both him and I is it wasn't like an injury that put us out. Like with Edge, it was yeah. that. So it's like, okay, your neck's broken. Daniel Bryan had the brain injuries. There was reasons to not do it. And, I mean, truthfully, it was kind of inspiring watching those guys come back. You know, because oh, yeah. Edge returned while I was in a coma. So it's like, I come out of that, I'm like, holy crap, like, dude was gone for 10 years and he's back and looks amazing. And that was sort of like the first bit of inspiration for me. But because it wasn't a career-ending injury, it was just an illness, you know, wrestling is not going to make it thicker. It's not going to hurt my body on the end any more than they already are and it's a weird blessing in disguise for me because my pancreas is shot so i can't drink alcohol anymore so alcohol is just out the window which is why i do edibles and smoke weed so that's how i you know take the edge off with that and i also can't have a whole lot of fat in my diet because your pancreas digests body or digest fat in your in your diet so i have to follow a low-fat diet and i can't drink and the more i work out the better i feel so it's like i kind of wrestling it makes me want to work out more. Cause if I just had to work, work out, I'd hate it. But when I'm in the gym and I'm like, Oh man, I can't, I got, I want to wrestle. You know, Judas is the heavyweight champ. I look at a photo of him, see how big his shoulders are. And I'm like, man, I got to do an extra set. Got to get bigger than Jew. You know, I got to, you know, it gives me a competition against myself and against other guys in my own head where I can go, this guy's doing this. I got to, you got to get on this guy's level. And that keeps me going. And that's why I genuinely think I will probably wrestle until the day I die in some capacity, similar to what Lawler and Honky and those guys do. You know, it won't be the wrestling that I did when I was young. I'm not going to be Jeff Hardy at 45, 46, you know, doing swantons off of ladders onto the step, you know, and, and stuff like that, because I don't want to be in pain for the rest of my life. But it, it's no different than playing like in a softball league or whatever, just to have an activity to get me away from the family, you know, get me around my friends. And yeah, so it's as weird as it is, getting sick was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had started training for a comeback about a month or two before I got sick. And I was just having a hard time losing the weight because my knees were so bad. My back was really jacked up and my neck was really jacked up. So there wasn't a whole lot I could do. And I was drinking alcohol all the time. So it just wasn't going to work. So then I get sick. All my injuries just went away. Like all the pain in my neck just went away. Cause I had no muscle left. So all the muscle injuries were just gone. Cause I had no muscle. So it kind of just reset my whole body. It reset my head where, you know, I mean, I had a couple concussions I and mean, I'm sure just like everybody, you've seen the baseball slide video of me knocking myself out. And, you know, that did some serious damage to my memory. And, you know, when I call a match, you know, a lot of it, you know, we talk about in the back, gets thrown on the ring. Cause I just forget you know, so in the old days, I would do a lot of calling stuff in the ring, which is why I never really tried to strive for a more indie type style. Like, I had some terms that I was never going to wrestle PWG um, because I was never going to call a PWG style match in the ring on the fly. That's just impossible. But now that my brain's kind of recovered, too, and my I don't have like a brain fog anymore. I feel like I could put together a match like that once my body's fully where it wants to be, you know, and that's a goal for maybe within the next year to try to get on a gorilla show down here. Cause I've never done that. And I'd love to test myself out with that. 
And so getting sick has really been the best thing to happen in my career in a way. I mean, I had to come back from all this stuff, but it also gives me this great story to tell, which, you know, makes everybody like me. So that's worked out really well. You know, how, you know, when I was in there and they were like, yeah, so three weeks ago, you had like a 5% chance of living, you know, you go from that to where I'm at today, you know, I'm going to be wrestling tonight, you know, and I feel fantastic. It's crazy you know, how different things can go in three years and how one catastrophic event really made everything better. And for me, the pandemic was wild too, because, you know, I said, I didn't see my son for a few months when I was in the hospital. I saw him every day during the pandemic. So I got all mm-hmm. the time with him, which, you know, I'd feel guilty at times because, you know, obviously people are dying, you know, and, and jobs are being impacted and everybody's suffering. I'm like, I'm at home. My wife's a lawyer. She's salaried. So she's picking up her paycheck every two weeks, no matter what she does. I'm on disability and I'm getting to see my kid and help him with his schoolwork. So I got all this time back and I got to really recover and just like restart my life. And that's really why I, you know, I'm a little bit happier and more baby face-ish than I used to be because I'm a lot more grateful for the things I have. And, you know, life is just good in general. It's kind of hard to be a dick when everything's going so well. No, definitely. When you, you uh, have that little bit of a silver lining there to uh, some rather, dark times and you know having that positivity it it, you know you can't help but feel good about all that and you you mentioned pwg and hoping maybe soon to be able to jump in there i actually my last category i have is i used to call it a little bit of a speed round but I've said this to a bunch of guests. It never went that damn quick. So I just called it a random question round. I right. name off some questions. Some could be wrestling related. Some might not be. I never really know until I put my notes together. All right. But uh, first one is the one I pretty much know I'm going to put on the list because I always like to start off with it. Craziest in-match moment. Mm, God, that's a tough one. Damn, I don't really know. I've, I've had quite a few. Um, damn. I mean, probably not in match moment, but the craziest thing I've ever seen was at WCWA in like 2003. Somebody picked a fight with Adam Pierce. Ooh. And the locker room went out and beat the guy. <laughs> And we all, and we all just went out there. I don't even remember what it was, to be honest. It was, you know, 15, 16 years ago, but a drunk fan just went nuts, picked with the wrong guy. Adam turned around beat the fuck out of him. We all went out there. You know, so you got Pierce, baby slim, myself, the dynamics, DJ, all just out there, just going after the guy. But I mean, I, I guess in reality, really the craziest moment of my career has to be the baseball slide and knocking myself out. And what people, you know, I always like to point out, Okay, Marty Elias is one of my favorite referees. Man is a great official. I kicked out. If you watch that video, it's on YouTube. Scott Lost gets me back. He rolls back into the ring. I get my shoulder up for that three count. He counts me out, so I never lost that match. So I think I should get a rematch if UPW ever opens back up. But when I get to the back, um, I think I was 22. So I think Beyond the Mat had come out just a couple years before that. And Tony Jones and Mike Modest were both on that show. And I just met them, you know, earlier in the day. And I open and I get to the back and they bring me upstairs to the galaxy. And they're both right in front of me. And I go, holy shit, you're Mike Modest. 
Tony Jones, you're in that movie. And like, <laughs> I have no recollection. My buddy who drove me home was like, dude, you were marking out big time for both of them. And it was hilarious. Like we told them you were knocked out. So they, they didn't care. But that was, was at it? a time marked out like that either it was a huge no-no to be like oh my god I love you and all that but i was like it's so cool because i'd seen them in the movie and kind of looked up to both of them because you know they're the first indie guys i really followed so but yeah the baseball side is the wildest thing that ever happened but i did kick out of that hmm. Hmm. rematch might be in order i hey i lost out of retirement i'll wrestle him again <laughs> any day <laughs> i know for me two of it's kind of i recently found one that I saw actually at uh, Wrestling Revolver that might be the top, but so I'll name them both. The first one was a ladder match where the guy that I actually made my best man was in. They had a ladder bridged in between the uh, the guardrail and the uh, ring apron, and he had a guy up. Oh, I know I've seen, I wanted to say Seamus do a similar move where he had the guy up on his back. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And he looks down at the ladder. And then before I know it, I'm on the other side of the ring. I just see the ladder go. And I'm like, oh, damn. The other. I took a backdrop out of the ring onto a ladder like that before, where I think that was just SoCal crazy. The ladder Mm -hmm. was. Between the guardrail and the ring and i pulled him in for a pile driver a power ball and he got the better of me and i went flying through it and just goes Joink. oh man it, it looked painful the other one that i mentioned wrestling revolver was actually jake chris versus joel bateman in a death match and it ended by them bridging two panes of glass on top of four folding chairs and then they lit the panes of glass on fire yeah you don't gotta worry about ever seeing me doing something like that i promise you <laughs> i've already but died times yeah. deathmatch wrestling is not in my future at this point the wife i mean the wife was very hesitant to even let me wrestle again she's like well what goes wrong what if that goes wrong so i'm like yeah i'm gonna go set a table on fire with some light tubes on top of a- <laughs> fuck you you do that i'm divorcing you oh so, that's not in my future <laughs> No, I I know if I ever even looked like I was going to attempt it, yeah, my wife would be the same way. Well, I mean, she was the one that was by my side the entire time I was in the hospital. So she's her life turned upside down by me getting sick. The last thing I want to do is some, get some stupid injury for no reason. When in reality, that, that was never a type of wrestling I liked anyway. I respect the genre itself, but not something that I ever have any interest in doing. But who knows? Maybe when I get older and I get a little bit crazier, you know, like I, I never jericho at 50 doing a death match <laughs> so you never i'll never say never but <laughs> um next question one of my non-wrestling related ones dog or cat person dogs all day can't stand cats pussy's bad I, for you yeah no i i've always leaned more towards dog myself i mean yeah, right here yeah. I, i've known one cat named moon that i've ever liked and that's about it every other cat i've met has been an absolute just ugh. my wife when i met her already had two one got left when a former roommate moved out but you know 
I don't hate cats, but I've always been more of a dog person myself. Yeah, I mean, I've had enough bad experiences when I was little than scratching at me and stuff like that. So I don't have fond memories. As an adult, when I've seen cats, they've always been friendly, but I don't think I would ever want one. I like I like having dogs. They're cuddly and they're fun and they're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they they can be. They can. Be. <laughs> but uh, next one, I favorite drink. I know you said you about not being able to drink alcohol right now but if you had a favorite drink you know non-alcoholic what would it be well captain and diet was my drink i did i could go through a bottle of captain and diet all day sometimes i'd miss mix in a little jim bean vanilla with a whiskey either the vanilla apple oh god those were good sometimes it'd be like a shot of the vanilla shot of the apple and then down a little diet coke um, but I, yeah, those days are long gone. Now I drink Diet Coke on occasion if I just want a little caffeine pickup. Or, if, you know, we were at Disneyland a few months ago and I was like, you know what, screw it, I need a little caffeine, I'll have a Diet Coke. But for the most part, I drink black tea. Um, there's an amino energy drink that you can get at Costco that I like. And right now I'm drinking a liquid IV because I worked out before I came here and I took a warm Epsom salt bath. So I'm trying to rehydrate before the show tonight. Um, but I, the biggest issue with the pancreas too, on top of the fat and the alcohol is I have to stay hydrated at all times mm. so myself. I never go in saunas anymore, anything for too long, unless I've got a good liquid supply ready to go. But yeah, for the most part, it's all healthy stuff now, which sucks. Yeah, I am. I've always been a bit of a Dr. Pepper fiend myself when it, when it came to alcohol with Dr. Pepper, I, I remember, what was it? Jack Honey and Dr. Pepper ended up tasting pretty damn good. That sounds great. They used to do Fireball with uh, uh, Diet Root Beer. Tastes like a cinnamon roll. <laughs> okay. Yep. Cat. Uh, speaking of back when we were talking about cats, asshole cat knocking down some shit causing dog to go See, crazy. Proof that my answer was correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man, that one you that drink you just brought up, I'm like, damn, I might need to go find me some of that stuff to try to and I, I don't early drinks too. Give me like hypnotic or kinky, mix them with like a little ginger ale. I, I was a very heavy, like hard alcohol drinker. I, I liked getting drunk fast. And it's part of why I got sick too. My body handled it way better than it should have. So like I would drink all day and I would never even notice like that I was getting buzzed because I built up such tolerance to it. And I didn't realize it was killing all my insides while my outsides mm -hmm. felt like fine. So. Oh, yeah, no, I, boy, I remember being on deployment, being in the Middle East and Bahrain and going pitcher for pitcher with the British Navy. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've had I've had my times. Yeah, I'm not, I don't like the beer as much just because it makes me feel so heavy because I like to keep drinking. So the diet soda and the alcohol, it just makes me feel less full, which is also part of the reason why I got sick because I never got filled up from it. <laughs> it's like all these things used to get drunker why I got more messed up. But that's also why I'm very open about that stuff too because, you know, my son is going to have an addictive personality, I'm assuming, because my, my dad did, my oldest brother does. So I'm about to warn my son, like, look, we're going to drink in moderation when you get older. I'm going to pay better attention to him, you know, to make sure that he stays healthy. He's not getting out of control. Cause I've seen that, what it can do. And I mean, like I said, I had a 5% chance of living. He came this close to not having a dad at age five. So 
I'd hate to lose him at a young age or, you know, have him get married, have a little kid and then have his whole life fall apart too. So I, I got very lucky and that's why I like sharing what happened to me and, and very open about the amount of alcohol I was drinking. You know, I was taking painkillers and doing other drugs and stuff too, and really just fucking my body up a lot and I paid for it. I got very, very lucky. So no, hoping. Yeah. No, it's definitely uh, good when you, you have people out there that have, been through that that i mean it would be understandable if they didn't want to share about it but when you can and you are willing to share about it and to show people like hey this is what happens when you get to that point maybe you might want to think about not getting to that point so you don't have to go through that exactly so it's more about the moderation all that but like it's also not lost on me too, that even though at an independent level, I'm not a huge star in the wrestling industry, that there's still people that look at me, you know, as a role model or whatever, or as any athlete, especially, you know, some of the kids around here that have been watching me since they were four or five years old that have grown up watching me, you know, you, ha you have to take that into consideration. And that's why I want to tell them because I would love for them to know what I went through so they can hopefully avoid it themselves. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed of any of it. I mean, I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my life and I've come to the realization that everybody does. So it's not yeah. like I feel like I'm a bad person because I was drinking and doing all this stuff. I feel more irresponsible as a father than anything. And that's stuff that I've dealt with in therapy. And, you know, and that's where the pandemic worked out nicely for me to kind of get that time back. And that made it a little bit easier to cope with that. I was able to get that time with my son back and make sure that he didn't feel like he was losing his dad. And yeah. to the Oh, he has no idea how sick I got or how close I was to dying because they never brought him down to the hospital because it was it was winter time anyway. It was before the pandemic. So, you you know, kids, I think, under 12 couldn't be there at all. So it wasn't like he was going to come unless they were, you know, I was about to die and they were going to let him come say goodbye. But you know, I, I just think of that a lot, but as far as being ashamed of what I did, I mean, I've done the things I've done. I've seen other people do it. You know, when I watched Jeff Hardy go off the rails, you know, I have nothing but sympathy for the guy because I hope he can get it together and just live a happy, peaceful life. Cause you know, I've met Jeff Hardy and, you know, not friends by any means, but he seems like the kind of guy that just wants to be happy, peaceful, do his art, whether it's singing, painting, extreme sports, wrestling, like he just wants to do his thing and be left alone. And yeah. I know, a few times and that just happens and you know it's something i always have to be aware of i could go off the rails because i could do drugs anytime you know cocaine all that stuff isn't going to kill my liver or my kidney or anything right now it's alcohol that will but i'm not going to go do it because that's still what led to me getting sick but i know that it's always you know in the back of my head of like i could i could go off the rails i could fuck up you know and one beer could kill me you know one beer may do nothing but it could hurt me. And, you know, I've had some flare-ups with my pancreas where my diet got a little iffy and I've had some days where I've been in a lot of pain and have had to deal with that. And I don't enjoy that at all. So that's more motivation, right? Not drink and all that. And then when I see my kid running around, I'm like, he needs a dad, plain and simple. You know, it's too selfish to be like, oh, well, I could have one sip and risk, you know, his future. And, you know, I think a lot sometimes about what his life would have been like had I died and how different it would be. You know, I have these weird dreams of like wife remarrying and like, you know, meeting an abusive man that like rapes my kid. Like I have all these wild, like worst case scenario dreams. I'm like, man, I can't ever let that happen. And yeah. let that well, like it's my job to protect him for, you know, at least until he's 18 and, you know, even further. 
So that, that puts a lot of things in perspective. It makes it easier not to binge and fuck up, essentially. No, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned it, it's not a bad thing, you know, when you go through those things. I mean, it sucks when you're going through it, but it's all really about how you bounce back from it. And it definitely seems like you have definitely bounced back in a good way from it. Yeah, no, I feel great. Like I said, my mindset is a lot better than it's ever been. Most of the depression that I had beforehand kind of went away just because of that gratefulness of being alive and going, oh, crap. Like, you know, for the two, the first two weeks that I woke up, at one point I asked the doctor, I was like, am I going to die? And they're like, you could. You could die any minute. And, you know, I mean, I went, I coded three times while I was there. And it just, all three times just came out of nowhere. So, I mean, I was just lying in a bed going, I could just, my body could just die right now. And I, there's nothing I can do about it. So it's frightening being in that situation and it really does change everything in your life, or at least it should. I mean, they, you know, one of the doctors, I mean, they told me never have alcohol again. And I think they're being a little extreme. I'm sure I could drink a little and be fine. Not going to risk it, but they they were also clear. Like a lot of people come in here and then we see them in six months and then we see six months and then we send them to the morgue so we don't want that to be you and i took that to heart like i said having a kid makes it a lot easier you know a lot of people they go through struggles you know i mean if i was going through a divorce or something and the wife had taken the kid i would probably be dead right now because i would have had no support system and all that and that's not lost on me either of how one little thing you know could have changed everything yeah no it can definitely be a bit sobering i can imagine so when you i can even only further imagine when you get that well for the lack of a better way to put it second lease on life it's like okay that this is what's got to change so that's what i got to do yeah and like i said it, it worked out great for me because like my biggest issue over the years was i never had a lot of discipline i, I don't like working out I, I mean i don't think anybody really does i don't <laughs> it's not enjoyable at all you know but it's forced me to do all that and ultimately it's given me a second chance at wrestling and it's weird like the like when i broke in it was march 15 2001 first day of wrestling school there's three major wrestling companies you got wwf wcw ecw and ecw was pretty much already under but i didn't know that at the time because i wasn't reading the dirt sheets and all that but two weeks later at wrestlemania there's one company so I break into the business and we went from three to one within a couple of weeks. And then I leave the business and all of a sudden AEW pops up as the most viable option is competition for WWE because impact TNA never really was like, and I never really made an effort to work for TNA because I'd see guys, you know, Joey Ryan's a perfect example of a guy that you know, got brought in. They offered him a contract and then he wasn't making any money because they weren't using him. And then he got stuck with the contract. And I saw it happen to guys at Lucha Underground too, where, I didn't want to get put into that kind of situation. Um, you know, I was a general manager at a pizza hut at the time, making almost a hundred grand a year with bonuses. TNA was paying like 60 grand. So why would I quit a job where I get to be home every night, making good money to go maybe not even make anything if they're not using me. So that was something that was always an issue too. For me, it was always WWE or bust. Whereas now it's, you know, WWE is an option again because Vince McMahon's gone. There's no, there really doesn't seem to be any restrictions. And I've got a hard time believing that if I could sit in a room with Triple H for 20 minutes and be like, here's what happened to me. Here's my comeback story. Do you think you can make money off of this? That he wouldn't be intrigued. And I think the same with Tony Khan or whoever's in charge of AEW. And I think AEW would be my preference of a place to work because 
you know, my wife's an attorney, she makes good money. So it's not like we need to make tons of money. And I'd rather be at home. I'd rather work Wednesdays and Saturdays, you know, once a week or whatever, and have that lighter schedule that you're not going to get with WWE. But at the same time, if WWE comes a knock and I'm not going to turn that down either. Yeah. But, you know, that's sometimes a way. I've still got a lot of work to put in before I'm even going to start throwing myself after those guys. I think PWG is where I'm going to start. You know, it's Los Angeles. It's, you know, a three-hour drive away from my house. If I can get PWG, then I'll know I'm on the right track where I can go to AW and be like, hey, man, I'm working PWG. Like, I think I could hang here. And with WWE, I'm like, I definitely can hang there. I think I could hang in WWE right now if they hired me. It's just I don't have the physique right now to go along with what I would want to present myself as either at that level. Yeah, and I mean, you you mentioned PWG again. I mean, as and I don't know if anything's changed as of yet, but you know, as of last I knew, you know, PWG champion AEW. Yeah. So I mean, there's that window in there. Yeah, there's a lot of those guys working at PWG. So it really is. And it, I mean, in all reality, I can make a phone call to either company and get a meet. I mean, I don't know if I can get a meeting, but I can make a phone call back. What do I need to do? Who do I need to go to? Because I know enough people at both companies at this point, especially AEW, because it's a lot of indie talent that I've known over the years. Yeah. But I mean, Adam, a friend of mine, I mean, I could call him and I know enough of the executives at WWE that I could get in there and figure out to get a tryout and present myself. But I know that I'm not where I want to be yet, that I want to go down that road yet. I don't want to go in there and be like, hey, man, I'm going to be ready in a year. But rather just get ready and be like, hey, I'm ready now. Let's do this. And I'm also writing two different books. One is about all the dreams I experienced while I was in the coma. And I was able to write the first chapter already. And it's, you know, kind of difficult because, you know, for me, the coma dream, like, like I lived an entirely different life while I was in the coma. Like, um, there was there's two different Super Bowls going on at one time. Don't know why my wife had remarried. At one point I was like a blue fish man, like in Avatar. And we were getting hunted down by these pirates and they were selling us to this like billionaire in Texas that was turning us into margarita salt. <laughs> no, no idea how any of that correlates into that, but that's what was <laughs> on. And this kid that was actually a delivery driver for me at Pizza had actually rescued me and drove me to Las Vegas. Once again, don't know why we went to Las Vegas, but I'm just this giant blue fish, man. He throws me in his trunk and bails off to Vegas and is like evading the police and all this other shit. Like, I feel like I lived this. Like, it's a memory. <laughs> I had this weird dream last night. Like, that went on for a month. So I'm writing out all of those best of my recollection. And my wife and my aunt kept tons of notes on everything that was going on. So I'm trying to mix what my dreams were along with some of the conversations that I was having with them. Cause there were times when I was lucid and like, they could understand me a little bit, but I was still in the coma and still dreaming. Mm -hmm. So like at one point I woke up and I was in the hospital and I swore for two days, it was a Rubio's, which is a little um, like taco shot iron. And I was, I would really like a fish taco. And they're like, that's great. We don't have those. I'm like, how the fuck don't you have them? You're a Rubio's. That's what you're famous for. And was getting into these arguments with these nurses because they wouldn't bring me a fish taco. And I would be at a Rubio's. Oh, man. So that wasn't I, even a couple. I was awake just having hallucinations. And then there's one. I, I really wish I hadn't deleted the tweet because I don't know if this really happened or not. But I tweeted something at Freddie Prince Jr. about Hulk Hogan and blue, uh, beluga whale skin. And Hulk Hogan trying to like collect mini beluga whale skins. 
And it was just this wild thing. I tweeted at Freddie Prinjuter because he was there brokering the deal between me and Hulk Hogan. And I like tweeted this at him and he responds, you all right, bro. And I have no idea if that really happened or not, or my imagination, (laughs) but either way, I deleted the tweet, whether it was real or my imagination. I wish I had, because I would have loved to go back and see if I really did that or not. But when my wife first gave me my phone, I probably shouldn't have had it yet because my brain was not functioning at all. And I can only imagine I said and did that I don't even know about. Oh man, that's interesting. But yeah. um, well, I know you got the show coming up. I do have one final question yeah. for this round. Best advice for anybody getting into wrestling? Have a backup plan. <laughs> I mean, the best advice, honestly, is be a sponge listen to everybody around you and take the advice you get and apply it to you. And I I tell this to my students in school, like guys, I'm telling you my philosophy on wrestling. And when I teach, I'm very clear about that. Every time when I go, my opinion is this, this is how I feel about this. However, if you go out and do that and a crowd reacts to it, then I was wrong and you were right. So who the fuck am I? So just because I say it doesn't mean it's law. Like, you know, I, I, I learned from a guy named Oliver John who actually also trained Jeff Cobb. Um, and then I went and trained with Tom Howard at UPW, um, the Brian Kendrick, Samoa Joe, the Ballards, Hardcore Kid, Aaron Aguilera. Like I got a really good education and training at UPW. We had Ronnie Piper coming in on occasion for seminars. DDP was there doing yoga with us before he'd even had that going. So I got a great education in wrestling in my first three or four years from having so many different people and all of them have different styles and different ways of doing stuff. And you know, what you don't realize too, is that I have a different body than a lot of other guys. So there's moves I can't do that other guys can. Like I always wanted to do that. Frankie Kazarian used to do a move where like a guy would grab an arm ringer and he'd hold the rope and do a backflip. And it looks smooth. I have never been able to do that. And partially it's because I'm too tall and my arms are too long that I can't get the right base for it. And it always just looks jacked up when I did it, do it. So I'm like, well, I'm never going to do that. You know, even though I wanted to, I just can't. And there's been plenty of moves where that's just the way it is. You know, I, two weeks ago, I started doing an octopus hold and just went, well, I got really long legs. I got really long arms and I got a guy in a, in a abdominal stretch and then kind of tinkered with it a little bit and was able to get my head, my leg over his head and then pull back on his shoulder. I was like, well, I have really long legs. So there's a couple guys like Tortuga will never be able to do that move because he's a shorter, stockier guy. So I try to tell guys, you know, take everything everybody gives you and apply it to you. You know, if it doesn't make sense to you, don't do it. If it does, do it. If it makes sense today, but not tomorrow, change it. Everything in wrestling is absolute, except everything isn't. You know, wins matter, except when they don't. Championships matter, except when they don't, you know? You know, is Ric Flair the greatest wrestler because he's had 16 world titles? Or is Mr. Perfect a greater wrestler? I personally think Mr. Perfect's a better wrestler, but Flair had more success. But if you're going to apply that to Flair, then you're going to apply it to Cena. And a lot of people don't like doing that, even though Cena's a really good worker, even though, you know, he's a klutz in the ring. So you just got to do you. And, you know, I talk to guys about, you know, what, what's Triple H's moveset? And it's always like, oh, he's got the, the high knee, the, the face buster and the pedigree. I'm like, what's the biggest move he does? And they always say pedigree. It's like, no, spitting water is his biggest move. Like if you go to a show and Triple H says go raw and spit out his water as a fan, you're going to be pissed because that's what you go for. You know, yeah. I love go- if I go see them and they don't play like welcome to the jungle, paradise city, knocking on heaven's door, like the songs I want, I'm going to be pissed. 
you know, if Triple H doesn't spit his water, if I don't see Hulk Hogan doing this, if I don't see Shawn Michaels doing this, like, I want to see The Rock get on a corner and do this just to say you saw it. Like, yeah. Realize what fans really want. So if you want to work at that level or that style, that's what you go for. You know, we got a guy that came out of SoCal Pro School named Hunter Freeman. You know, when I left wrestling, he was a technical wrestler. He was in a tag team. Now he's a fucking deathmatch wrestler. He's killing it. You know, not where I was his career going, but he found his niche and he's running with it. And I use that as an example with everybody of like, look, there's pros and cons to that. His career's probably not going to be as long as it would have been if he was a technical wrestler. However, as a technical wrestler, he may not have gone as far as, you know, he is going to go doing death matches. So there's no right or wrong there. I would never want to death matches, but he's cool with it. And that's the way he wants to go. So God bless him for doing that. And it's the same if you want to be in Japan, you have to learn that style. If you want to go to AEW, learn like that style, figure out how you can incorporate yourself into that and take everything from everybody and just apply it to yourselves the best that you can. And always just like, yes, sir, got it and give it a try. And if it's not working for you, ditch it. You know, the Ballards used to have us doing a drop kick one way and Oliver John had to be doing it the other way. Where you like the way you jump up, it's, you know, your butt's facing one way or the other. And I like the way that Oliver John taught me, which is jump up and I turn to the left. It's just the landing's just better for me, but other guys, they do it to the right. You know, it could just be the difference between being left handed and right handed. Yeah. You know, it throws left handed punches, but in America, we're supposed to right handed ones, but he's left handed. So, you know, he does what he does. And the beauty of wrestling is I take what I do well, you do what you do well, we mix it together. And when you get different opponents, that's what makes the match. You know, mm -hmm. I could watch on Michaels all day, love that, love the way they pair up. Jericho and, Sean, or Jericho and John Cena, I can't stand those two together. Just didn't like their chemistry for me. But all three of them are great wrestlers. Could watch Jericho mm -hmm. versus Michaels all day long. But for whatever reason, the Jericho Cena never did it for me. And, you know, I let the guys know that too. If you may not mesh with certain guys. You may be a good tag team partner with somebody, but not a good opponent. So, but yeah, just they get, you got to absorb everything you can and just apply it to you the best that you can. And, you know, listen, but also don't take shit from people and do what is best for you. Cause ultimately it's an individual sport and your career is your own. Nobody's going to hand you anything. So go out and take it. Oh yeah. Very good advice. Well, looking like my dogs are crazy and wanting to go outside. So I better get them taken care of. Want to one, take the time to tell you, thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight. And where can people find you, you know, social media-wise and all that? Uh, social media, I need to change all these. I mean, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I think my name's Thomas Wilson82. I need to change it to Tommy. Um, I changed it all when I got out of wrestling years ago. But um, Tommy Wilson on most everything, you'll find me. Um, tonight, SoCal Pro at the SoCal Pro School. If you're in San Diego, come check it out. Main event's going to be me versus a guy named Commando. Uh, going to be a bit of a thrown together card, but got a lot of students, you know, coming out to do some good stuff. So it'll be a good show uh, next Thursday, FCW in San Diego, Saturday, EWF. And then that's it for the year for me on uh, shows. But yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, pretty easy to find. Just type in Thomas Wilson, Tommy Wilson. You'll see me topless and it's, it's all me. All right. Well, I guess <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It was um, yeah, welcome back anytime. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. You have a good one. You too. Uh, thank you very much.